Welcome to the Inspiration Accelerator, hosted by Michael Sonberg, founder and CEO of Rebel Culture and Skyrocket Education. Each week, we'll talk to a different, inspiring person in the world of leadership, personal development, career, family, fitness, and beyond. Buckle up for the Inspiration Accelerator. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Inspiration Accelerator. This is our last episode of season one we're taking the summer off i can't think of a better guest for our very last episode of season one than my favorite person in the world my wife gina de gregorio sonberg gina is a former music publicist uh, she had her own um pr company a pr firm she's a uh, a licensed psychologist She's certified in applied behavioral analysis, which is the therapy that kids with autism receive. She is the founder of an autism nonprofit. She's also the author of a forthcoming children's book, which she's going to talk to us about. Uh, she's also a really big music fan. Super cool, super cool wife. Loves uh, Adam Sandler movies. Uh, Gina, welcome to the show. Hop on. How are you doing? Hello. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Well, I saw you most of today, so we probably <laughs> both know how the other uh, each other is. But um, we're, we're just we're so, oh, go ahead. We're just like a room away from each other right now. I know. So we have to let the folks know at home that we've been trying to record this episode for a few weeks now, and schedules haven't aligned, and so we're doing it from home with all three kids in bed and uh and so there may be i know that folks who listen to the show are probably used to hearing a dog bark every once in a while or something like that we may have a child interrupt interject <laughs> at some point so uh we'll, we'll thank you in advance for your for your grace on that uh i just i have to let folks know we skipped our intro tonight because we want to talk about something pretty big we know i normally uh, record these a few weeks in advance this one because of the scheduling is only a few days in advance but gina tell folks what's on tv tonight that you are very excited about and that you are uh trying to get me to be equally excited about but i'm not quite there yet it is part two of the vanderpump rules reunion <laughs> it's all about scandal in this house tonight so Scandaval, what 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 is that exactly for folks who don't know? Folks who don't know, Vanderpump Rules is like a spinoff of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And it's about this group of like, you know, sexy 20, 30 something year olds who all work at a restaurant and hook up with each other and cheat on each other. And it's very juicy. Um, and Long story short, this one couple, the season, the show's been going on for 10 seasons. And this one couple who's been together for nine years, they own a house together and they they planned to they were freezing eggs and together and all of that. Um that's Tom and Ariana, Tom Sandoval. So Tom Sandoval ended up cheating on Ariana with her best friend and they were doing it behind her back for seven months and the crazy part is that it was happening during the filming of the 10th season 
but they didn't know until after filming ended. And then she found out about the cheating. So they turned the cameras back on. And now if you watch the rest of the season, if you go back and watch the season, you can see all these like little hints in the background. It's kind of crazy. So, and so Tom Sandoval, so the, the, the episode is called, or at least like the theme is called Scandal. Scandoval. The scandal is called Scandoval. Yeah. It's like, Scandoval, you know, yeah. yeah. So for like listeners Jennifer. to the show, uh, listeners to the show of, of the show know that I, uh, I, uh, you know, I consider myself a coach first and foremost, uh, regardless of what field it's in. And I tell people all the time to stop watching television don't watch reality television. It's bad for your brain. Read a book, work out. Uh, my own wife is a, a, a Vanderpump Rules addict and has gotten me into Vanderpump Rules as well. And so I will be watching uh, Popcorn in Hand to see uh, Scandaval Part 2 tonight shortly. So we're skipping the, the inspirational intro to tell you all a little bit about some reality TV that, uh, man, against my best judgment uh i'm watching but let's get gina let's go um it's and, pop uh, culture we got you got to do yeah. it it's part of history right now we might be on uh we might be on uh, a short leash tonight with the little ones upstairs so i do want to go go back to you because when you and i met you were working uh in pr uh the largest uh, music pr firm in the, in the whole country located in, in new york city uh but that got old for you Fast And so can you talk a little bit about maybe not that fast? Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to speed up time. But what was the what was the shift that you had? You know, we moved to Philadelphia, you were working remotely before that was really a thing. Yeah, I started to work in urban education. And then you had this like, kind of shift. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like? So being a publicist in the music industry is literally 24 seven job because I was working with bands um, where I'd have to do their publicity, but then also go to their shows at night. And I'm dealing with um, when they'd go on tour, I, you know, we're in New York. Um, if they were playing in LA, I, I'd have to be on call if something went, went wrong with, um, you know, a photographer getting into a show or something like that. Um, so, you know, and then weekends were full of concerts. I, my schedule was, you know, 5 a.m. in New York City at some morning show, whether it was like Fox News or at that time it was Regis and Kelly or something like that. And then I would work all day in the office and then go to a show at night. And then I'd come home at two o'clock in the morning. So it was just, it was a very, um, it, it it's draining. It's, it's, it's hard to do that for a long time. And on top of it, I was feeling like almost like I was, it was kind of shallow, the work that I was doing. And I was looking for more, I was looking for deeper work to do. Yeah. And I, you know, you were, you're humble about this, but you've worked with some really, some really huge acts. I remember early on when you and I met, you texted me that you were at Carly Simon's penthouse in uh in manhattan i slept over uh, there a couple of times actually you slept over there a couple of times and so and you 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 know you, whether it was stone temple pilots or jane's addiction or Def leopard you worked really closely with a band called the donna's who some folks might know i mean uh sting and folks like that um 
And, you know, I remember those days of you being just. I didn't actually you know, work with this thing. <laughs> right. But, you know, but you were in like you were in his, his, his I, circle. My right? company worked with him. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, and so you had this like pivot, like, hey, this is feeling kind of shallow and I want to do something different. So talk about you, you and, you know, so much of this show is about people who look at their current their current situation and a situation can potentially have a, a negative connotation, but like we'll look at their lives and say, you know what, I want something different and it's okay to want something different and I'm going to pivot. And I've always admired that about you because you're like, Hey, like I'm so good at this one thing. My degree is in this one thing. Like I am like, I have a great reputation around this one thing and it's not fulfilling me anymore. And I'm going to shift. And so you went back to school. Talk about like that process, what, why you went back to school for what you went for and, and what that what that whole evolution was like. Well, I was a publicist for a bet for 10 years because I did start in-house at a, a, a um, radio station and concert venue on Long Island. So I did work with lots of musicians there before I moved to the city to do the um, the agency work. But then. <laughs> Funnily is still funnily. Is that a word? Funnily enough? Oh, I don't know. Funnily? Yeah, funnily I don't know enough. That's a word, actually. Yeah. Sure. Funnily. But anyway, um, <laughs> what got me interested in psychology is the Real Housewives of New Jersey. I thought Teresa was a psycho. And I was like, I need to understand this woman and people like her. And so I was very interested in the mind and psychology and how the brain worked and why people did the things that they did. And that show's been around for that long? Yes. Yes. Is that the first one? Was that the first one? It was one of the first ones, yeah. Yeah, so you decide, so what's your, what's your degree? What's your degree in exactly? I, I never get it quite right. So um, my, I, my, my, um, I have a BA in public relations and then my master's is in clinical health psychology. And so I, um, and then I have um, two certificates. Um, so what the first certificate is um so I don't I didn't sit for like my um I didn't sit for any exams or do anything like that. I just kind of got the certificates. So I have my first certificate's in cognitive behavior therapy and the other mm -hmm. one is in applied behavior analysis, but I didn't get the applied behavior analysis certificate until after Teddy was diagnosed. So before we had actually I was pregnant with Max. I was pregnant with our first child when I graduated with my master's in clinical health psychology. It's actually called counseling and clinical health psychology. Um, and that's when I was, I had the certificate in cognitive behavior therapy. Um, and then it's kind of crazy how, you know, I, I started working and then I, I got pregnant and then, um, or I was pregnant when I, when I started interning. And then we had Max. And so I didn't really go back to work yet. And then I quickly became pregnant with Teddy. So I still didn't go back to work yet. And then it's really interesting how having that degree allowed me to go back to school again to get certified in ABA, which is the therapy that Teddy uses on a daily basis. Yeah, it's just and so before we get to that, uh, you, folks, you heard it here first. Not only is reality TV 
according to my wife, good for entertainment, but it also can spur uh, spark a career change. And so you went back to school for clinical psychology because you thought that Teresa was from the Real Housewives was so crazy and you wanted to learn about her and, and people like her. But I do think on a serious note, I mean, you know, my evolution for folks who don't know is I, I fell backwards into teaching and, um, you know, had no business getting hired as a teacher when I did, but started a charter network that was moving from three schools to four. And um, I was pretty good at standing in front of a crowd and, and talking, though you know, I had no idea about content or actual lesson delivery, but they gave me a choice. They said, hey, special education or science. And I absolutely love science, love, love, love. Grew up as a huge, like absolutely loving science and, you know, particularly earth science. Um, and I, I forget the exact evolution, but the, somehow I got kind of, you know, routed into special ed and that got my master's in special education. I think part of it is was because at the time I'd, I'd heard from folks that there was there were so many more diagnoses and so many more kids were getting diagnosed with special needs. And I'm not uh, historically known for making smart like life choices. One of them is marrying you. But I don't before that, I hadn't done a whole lot of that. But in my mind, I was like, all right, this could be really good for you know my career going forward, that there, there might always be work in this field not for a second thinking that it would ever come in handy for our for our own child and so let's uh, and your your situation is similar right different but similar so teddy's seven and a half now he got diagnosed when he was two and a half and uh you know i've never asked this question before and if you're you know if you're comfortable answering like tell us but like if you had to put a percentage to it right we're five years into this this journey how similar is it to what you thought it was going to be, right? A hundred percent is like this is exactly what I thought it was going to be like. Eight percent is like this is almost nothing that I thought it was going to be like. What what percentage would you give, and and why? Oh my, I don't, I honestly don't even know what I thought it was going to be like. I I don't know because I didn't know what it was, yeah. so I didn't know what to expect, and I. I think I'm going to say, I'm going to say 50% because mm. the, the little things that I did know, he, he kind of does. Um, but yeah, I was like very naive and I didn't, I knew absolutely nothing then. Mm. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I think for me, it's much lower than 50%. I, despite my having a background in that, in that world before you did, the kids that are, um, that have his level of, uh, whether it's autism or disability or however we want to refer to it, like they never made it to my classroom. They never made it to my school. They, they wouldn't have been able to, they wouldn't have been able to, to, to function right. there. We didn't have the supports for them. So my understanding of autism, despite having gone to school and learned about it and, certainly having students along the way who had what, you know, most folks would consider to be a very high functioning autism are nothing like him. And, and especially since, um, I mean, nothing's an over, an overstatement that there's 
so, you know, slight similarities, or maybe similarities are are greater than I than I than I think. But because those kids could could talk, or you know, dress themselves, or do things, or you know, write, or things like that, so it seems so different. You well, know, yeah, I also and then, think, then you see you see things like Rain Man, and you're like, oh, that's autism, and it's, sometimes it is, but it's not always. Yeah, I mean that is the that is the depiction, the stereotypical depiction of a person with autism is uh, doesn't want to be touched, um, you know, uh, you know, very very to themselves, um, you know, won't won't like won't eat anything, you know, very repetitive in nature, and, and Teddy is that, um, but but loud noises, you know, that you know disturb them immensely and. You know, our guy is the is the opposite. I mean, we were at a parade over the weekend, and as the fire trucks are going by, blaring their horns as loud as they can, and most of the people have their hands over their ears. He's he's in he's in heaven, flapping his flapping his his arms and screaming and jumping and bouncing because he loves the sounds and he loves the noise and he loves the the interact. Like he just love he loves touch and he loves like pressure for like lives to be squeezed and he squeezes us and he, you know, uh, is sometimes too hard. So it, it's just so much different than any sort of um, just preconceived idea I had about what autism is and what it, what it was going to be like, you know? Right. I think too, the, um, there are things that like, I'll give folks a, a small example of like, uh, and, and, you know, you, you refer to Teddy as your greatest teacher, and I'd love to steal that line from you, but you, you said it first. And, you know, you can, can steal it. It's fine. Okay. We can share it. it. We can share it. You know, uh, I, I really, you know, uh, I really do believe that, like, I don't know, whether it's the universe or God or, or whatever, right? That it, like, it just provides for you exactly what you, you need right. uh, in that in that moment and as somebody who was you know horribly impatient most of my life you know grew up uh you know in a in a house where like mistakes were not uh were not okay and where you know uh you know uh, as a kid i was just i was very judgmental and you know um you know uh insecure and, and all the all the typical things but like i am uh like i feel like i am I, I don't know if i could put a percentage on it but so much of who i am today is because of who he is right and that you know it's our job to provide for him and make sure that he's taken care of mm -hmm. but what he's done for me is is it feels like it's more than i could ever do for him and you know, I, I don't know if that's true. I hope that one day he can tell me how he feels about me as a dad or you as a mom. Yeah. But we almost don't need that to know, you know, the love is is there. The hugs are there. The the kisses oh. are there. But I just feel like I, I have, I'm so much more patient because of him. I'm so much more understanding because of him. I imagine some of the people I work with who are listening to this are probably thinking that I don't maybe necessarily always seem patient and understanding, but uh, you know, if you met me before him or if you know me, you know, like I was just a, I was a lot different. You know, yeah, I've been a, I've been accused of you, you have. Right. I mean, what's your what's your evolution been like? Yeah. Same 
same thing, much, much more patient, especially with the kids overall. I try to be more mindful with all three of them because of him. Yeah. And I don't know if I don't know if I would be that way if he did not have autism. Yeah, yeah like I was, you know, I, I, dri- I was driving recently and somebody's doing, you know, 45 miles an hour in the left-hand lane and that usually drives me nuts and for years it drove me nuts and I just had this moment of like, you know, maybe uh, this guy is like my guy and right. this is really new for him or really scary for him and he's doing the best he can and doesn't know that you know it's not like you're not supposed to drive in the left-hand lane like like really right. slowly uh and it just it allows me to just see the world uh differently um yeah. and see people with so much more understanding and and love and you know i don't like if I see somebody in a store wearing like a really kind of like what most people would consider to be like a really kooky outfit or saying or doing something that seems like, you know, just out of the norm. I there's a time in my life would be like, look at this freaking weirdo. Like, look at this, like maybe even like look at this loser, right? I just don't do that anymore because I'm like, you know, I don't know. I don't know that person's story. I don't know. Maybe they're just quirky. I don't know, but maybe they maybe they they have a diagnosis. And so I think it's really it's just changed. It's just changed who I am overall. You know, it's pretty wild. You're also older. I hope, <laughs> I hope you wouldn't call someone a loser now. <laughs> no, I will. I will go out. I will go outside right now, and the first person I see, I will call a person a loser. <laughs> uh, just a quick, a quick, a quick story to put something into perspective. I, because uh, we were out front with some neighbors the other day, and Teddy was running around. And Teddy does this thing. I, I just share with you all. He, he's Kids with autism usually fall into one of two categories. They're either sensory uh, avoiding, or which is the, really the stereotypical, um, you know, um, kind of image of, of autism that folks see or they're, or they're sensory seeking, which our guy is, right? So he wants blankets on top of him and pillows on top of him and, and hugs and squeezes and loud music and all that stuff. And so he does this thing. We, we, we hang out on the front lawn sometimes with some of the neighbors and there'll be a car coming down the block and Teddy will like run full speed toward the, the street, but he always turns left before he gets there. But it, it scares the, the, you know, the living heck out of the two of us. And we have to like position ourselves in a way. I mean, we're basically, we're hanging out with the neighbors and we're hanging out, you know, with our friends, uh, but we're also like playing like defense, um, you know, because he's, he's so, you know, in so many ways, so unpredictable. And so I remember our, our neighbor uh, across the street, really sweet guy, but he was like, man, like, you can't, you can't look away for a second, huh? And so I thought it'd be interesting just to share, like, you know, for folks at home who are like, yeah, I don't really know this world. I mean, you know, so, so our guy, um, he was for, for a lot of years drinking out of a, and this might give some folks some perspective if you're interested in that, but he was, he'd be drinking out of a, you know, like a toddler water bottle, but because he's always looking for sensory inputs, he would bite and chew the the straws and the and the caps to the point of he'd be eating these things and then he'd have to obviously pass them which is both you know unhealthy and painful and dangerous for him and so we started him on like the Poland spring water bottles but the problem is is that the cap for the water bottle is is again something he wants to chew on and so the a cap for a water bottle for you know a seven year old is 
uh, you know, like the perfect size to, you know, knock on wood to choke on. And so, of course, that's unsafe. And so we can't let him do that. And so we're at the point where we take the cap of the water bottles off. And so we give him the Poland spring bottle, but the cap is off. Uh, and then because he's always bouncing and jumping, he sometimes knocks those over. And so there are these like water spills all over our house. And I just think it's like, I don't say that with any judgment or any frustration, but it's just like, you know, everything for folks who are like, hey, what's it like? What's it like? Like, what's your like world like? Like every single thing is that level of challenge and that level of like, you know, problem solving around. And I'm sure there'll be a new plan for us, you know, next week or next month around this as he evolves or or our thinking evolves. But, you know, he spilled water on his, you know, technology and then the technology malfunctions. And now he's, you know, very frustrated about that. And there's a tantrum and we're de-escalating him. And it's just been, you know, um, you know, just for me, you know, it's been this this incredible journey of like, oh man, what's what's gonna happen next? And uh and like, how are we gonna, how are we gonna solve for it? I mean, do you feel similarly about just the the different challenges that come up? I, I think that any child presents challenges. Um, you know, everyone has their thing, right? Like yeah. with Betty, it might be a little bit more because it's kind of like at his age and where he is developmentally, it's he's kind of still a toddler in a lot of ways. So it's yeah. just kind of, to me, it's just kind of stretching out the toddler years a little bit, um, which yeah, yeah. I don't mind. I, I like the toddler years. I think they're yeah. adorable. Um, I kind of, I kind of like that. He, he allows me to kind of hold on to like my babies a little bit more, mm. a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't, I see it as just what it is. I kind of i I don't see it as more or or less than um, what other people go through because everyone has something. I mean, even like like Max. Max needs help with reading, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and you know, Penny, you know, has her little meltdown diva moments, right? Like <laughs> every Sad one tonight. Yeah, that's right. Every child has something and that that parents have to figure out and navigate. And, you know, yes, there are moments physically where I have a little bit of trouble because he is getting bigger and I'm not big. (laughs) He's strong. um, He's getting stronger. And I think that's where my biggest challenges lie with him. Um, Mm. The the physical for me is, is hard. Um, He really loves my hair and he loves pulling it and he, his sensory seeking causes him to squeeze. You know, I have like, I call them, you know, I have like my battle scars. I call them on my arms, my arms full of like, little nail nicks and marks and things like that from him. Um, and, you know, I, I beg you for back rubs every night because <laughs> I am just locked. My shoulders are locked and my neck is locked just from like lifting him and holding him and him jumping on me. So the, the physical is where I'm finding it challenging, but everything mm. else is like, you know, it is what it is. You know, there, there's also, 
there's a lot more paperwork that you know that is a lot um you know more paperwork more like you know for the, the therapies and things like that but I kind of I I love the world that we get to be in that he that he brings yeah. us to like I love the I love um like you know I love his therapists I love working with them I love the sports teams he's on we love going to his baseball games and seeing all the mm. other kids and you know yeah. where he he's brought us into this this world that we you know didn't really know about and it's really sweet and wonderful and I'm really proud of it yeah I think it's a it's a great perspective and uh, as usual from you and, and not surprising but you know he has brought us into a world that like, yeah, you kind of, you'll see, you see a kid in a wheelchair, um, you know, well, when you're younger or, or whatever, like you see, you see kids with disabilities. Um, but like, we're like, you know, uh, that's not, I mean, that's not mainstream, at least when you and I were, were younger, it wasn't. Um, and we, we are in this community of people, this like zero judgment zone. I mean, you know, Teddy plays on this this special needs baseball team in this league called the League of Yes, and his coach knows like Teddy's not going to sit in the dugout. Um, he's going to run around in the outfield while the other team is in the outfield. And when it's his, like the coach knows, like two batters away, he just he runs out. He he shows me the two fingers, and then I start kind of slowly bringing Teddy to the to the to home plate, um, and the the other kids cheer for him and we cheer for, for the, the other kids on the team. And, and some are, some you look at and you're like, you, you almost can't figure out what their disability is. And some you look at and you see, you know, you see children being pushed around um, in, in wheelchairs by, by parents or older siblings and things like that. And it's this really just this incredibly unique community because everybody is so unique, but, um it's it's um it's not unique in that like everybody's exactly the same in terms of like their like compassion and they're like they're like rooting for each other mm-hmm. and it's really it's really it's just amazing and and you know you and i say maybe not all the time but often like you know if we could snap our fingers and his life would be easier than it is and we try to make it as easy as we possibly can, but you know, there when, when you can't talk to people and you can't express yourself, that there, there with that comes tantrums and frustrations and um, things that are that are easier for other kids or, or very hard for him, or or at some in some cases just not even on the table. And we both agree that we we'd snap our fingers to make his life easier, but never our own. Um, and like I I. I you know, selfishly, I love what he's given us. Um, and I love the understanding that he's given us and the community that he's given us. Um, even if at times it's, 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 it's filled with challenges, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, every parent wants to make every child's life easier. It's just what you want for your kids. And yeah, I would love to make his life easier for him, but you know, he's perfect how he is. I love, um, 
I love learning about him. I feel like every day I learn something new about him mm. or he shows us something new. Like it's really exciting to watch him learn and grow as it is with all of the kids. Um, you know, I think, you know, going back to challenges, probably one of the other challenges is um, just navigating the this his siblings and making sure everybody yeah. is getting what they need and nobody is feeling like, you know, like, like they're not getting enough attention from us. Um, and also that, you know, they, I, I think, I think what's great is that Max and Penny are, they, they're all about, they, they include everybody. They, yeah they everything is normalized for them they don't think anybody is weird or different everything to them is normal and which is wonderful they embrace everything about everybody and they're very like welcoming friendly kids and I love that and I just hope that you know they're not ever feeling you know like it's too much for them and sometimes it might be you know, I want to make sure that they always have that communication with us. Like if things are a little too hard, if Teddy's a little too rough on them with his wrestling, or if he, if they feel like he's getting more attention that they can like talk to us about it. Um, you know, so, but you know, that could be anyone with lots of kids could feel that way too. Yeah. So, so again, it's just, it's all, it's about balance, I guess. Right. Yeah, I read a book called Sibling Rivalry when, when you were pregnant with Teddy, long before we knew anything yeah. about the diagnosis. And I, I remember uh, one of the one of the uh, portions of the book, and maybe the entire book was written from, from this perspective. I read a lot of books about, about parenting back then, but one of the, and so I think it was this book, that it was from the perspective of adult older siblings who right. said that when the younger one came, disability or otherwise that they were almost forced by the parents into more of an adult yes. role. Yes. And I definitely feel like I've done that and I I'm cognizant of it to, Yeah, to, but when I find myself doing it to like take a step back. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you have like a, a, someone who'd say, you know, maybe the person's 30 now, but they were like, you know, I was four and you know, my mom was telling me like, you know, do you deal with that on your own? I, I you know, can't you see your, you know, your, your baby right. sister is, you know, has pooped everywhere or, or you know, I, I need you to be a big boy or I need you to be a big girl and this and that. And that folks had like real resentment about that and that they felt like they were forced to grow up too fast. And so, yeah. uh, you know, again, long before there was any diagnosis, I remember you and I having these really like powerful conversations around like, hey, we're, we're, we're going to be really cognizant of not doing that and not you know, tell Max that, you know, he's because he's two and a half that he's, you know, a big boy now and got a, not there's anything wrong with that terminology necessarily, but if it's like, Hey, you know, good job, big boy. Like, you know, you're eating by yourself like that. That's that, you know, that's probably fine, but you know, putting pressure on them to be older than they are because we are either overwhelmed or less capable than we need to be or frustrated or whatever. And, and doing the same thing to Teddy when, when Penny came along, so I, I know that we make mistakes along the way, but I, I do think of all the things that you and I do, and I'll really shout you out for this. Like we're incredibly cognizant 
of not doing that, of not making his disability their disability and not saying things like, you know, you know, your brother needs all my attention. Like, go, go figure it out. Or how how dare you ask me that question right now? I'm like, can't you see your brother's having a, uh, having a tantrum or, or something like that, or he's struggling right now. We don't, I don't think we use the word. Well, there there are two, like two things with that one. We, you know, it's very important that we never say like, I can't do this with you right now because of Teddy, you know, it's like, Oh, just, you know, we say more like, okay, yeah, I'll be there in one minute. Just give me a minute. Like I don't say because of Teddy, I just tell them I'll be there in a minute. And then the other thing is like, you know, not asking them to do things for Teddy, unless the, the, my stipulation is I always, I, they have, they need to help me keep him safe. And that's what we talk about. Like, yeah. you, know, I, you don't have to do it. I'm not asking you to change your diaper. I'm not asking you to do anything for him. What, and I've had these conversations with Max and Penny all the time. It's everyone in the family's job to keep Teddy safe. You know, if you see him putting something in his mouth, you take it away. If you think he's, you know, going into the street or going, you know, you, you tell him to stop. So, and they're, they're very good at that. They're very good at that. Keeping an eye out on him for him, which is very sweet. Penny's always grabbing his hands to walk with him. Yeah. It's very, it's very cute when the, the little sister's grabbing the, the bigger brother's hand to make sure that he's not going into the street or they're saying stay, staying safe. And, you know, that's really, it's become, you know, you will transition here. And I know, Scandaval has has started. We are we are taping it, but uh, I do want to I do want to I do want to touch on two quick topics before we before we go. And really, that idea of like inclusion that you mentioned earlier, and keeping you know kids with disabilities and particularly kids with autism safe. I mean, you've started a a nonprofit called Families for Inclusion. Talk, talk about what you do and and really the why behind behind this uh this just incredible project so really what it is is just teaching elementary school kids about what autism and neurodiversity are um the you know I, you've talked about this when we were younger the kids who were in special education classes were kind of never seen or heard they Mm. kind of did their own thing they were separated from the rest of the school and that that's still happening now in a lot of ways um but they are a lot of schools are they're they're being integrated in they're being you know mainstreamed in at certain points and it's important for all of the kids at the school to understand what they're seeing and and to to kind of normalize the things that they're seeing for for both parties so that the child with autism doesn't feel any sort of nervousness or embarrassment or anything about mm. their you know if they're stimming or if they need to use um a, a device to speak with um that they don't feel different that they don't feel um like the other kids are kind of looking at them funny and then the other on the other side of that is to make sure that the kids who do not have autism are comfortable with with what they're seeing if you know if 
you you are with un, when you learn something you understand it and you're you yeah. are understanding about it so the more these that kids are educated about autism and what it is the more it's normalized so if they do see that child and flapping his arms they're like oh that's steady he's just excited or that's whoever he's just excited or if the the child can't doesn't you know doesn't really know how to control the volume of their voice uh, and they're being loud in the back of the classroom, you know, and they're not so that those other kids aren't asking, well, how come he gets to talk and I have to be quiet in class? They understand. Well, you know, that's, that's um, part of his autism. So it's just important for everyone to kind of be on the same page so that everybody feels comfortable and has a sense of belonging I'm an, I'm on a committee for our school district called the Impact Committee, and it's basically a DEI committee. And um, they did a survey for all, that all the kids in certain grades fill out um, surveys about their sense of belonging in the school. And I don't know the exact numbers, but the children in the special education classes overwhelmingly said that they felt less of a sense of belonging than the other kids did. So it's really important. I mean, feeling like you belong, especially in school where you're at so so much of your life is in school, you need to feel like you belong there and that you're part of the school. So teaching kids about this, especially, you know, I want my my goal is to do this early because let's get it into their little brains as early as possible so that it's just normalized throughout their lifetime. And, you know, they're going to go, they're going to leave school and walk into the world. You know, I, I just read um, the CDC, you know, in 2018 said that one in 44 kids were diagnosed with autism. And as of March, they changed it to one in 36. So as of March this year, so in five years, it's gone from one in 44 to one in 36 right. of, of so children. Diagnosed one in 36 with children is, is diagnosed with autism. Wow. Right. So they're going to go into the world and meet somebody with autism, whether if, yeah. if they if they don't even know someone already. I mean, when I ask their the, I go in. So I go into classrooms now and I I talk to kids. I do a little presentation about what autism is and how to be. Um, you know, you know, things, you know, how to be a good friend and, and all those things. And the kindergartners, when I ask, have they ever heard of autism? They, do they know what it is? Do they know anybody with autism? Nobody raises their hand. By the time I get to the third graders, though, m- lots of them raise their hand and they mm. know somebody with autism. So yeah. that's why to get to make it normal that early is so is so important. And for the kids with even higher functioning autism, the I think what you're doing is going to at least help create an environment where they're more willing to share that they have it or their parents are more willing to to talk about it. I mean, you and I were talking earlier that the musician Sia just revealed that she has autism. She's in her 40s, I believe. She just found out. Yeah, she didn't even know. Oh, I thought that she, I thought that she'd known for years and and just and just shared it. Yeah, she it's not no, she didn't even know. Okay, yeah. So I just think it's like you're creating an environment where more people are. Um, 
Yeah, where everyone can talk about it and yeah, and, and like and people feel comfortable talking about it. But I also want to be very careful that I, you know, I'm not we're that we're not outing anybody who doesn't want it to be known that they have sure. autism yet, you know. Sure. Um yeah. Because everyone's different, you know, some people are very proud of their autism, some people are not. And we want to be very mindful of, of everyone. So, you know, with our programs too, we have, um, we talk about, we have like discussion guides for parents on how to talk to their kids um, about autism and things for teachers and, um, and faculty um, and things like that. But also, you know, we, we want to make sure that the people with autism are comfortable first before we talk about anything about, you know, because we're, we're not talking about them. What we're, we're, we're trying to do is create inclusion and make them feel comfortable. So that's the most important part. Yeah, and the learning piece, I think is, you know, at this age, I mean, I remember Max and I were watching a movie and in it, there were two uh, characters who, you know, identified as male who were uh, attracted to each other. It was a cartoon. They liked each other, flirty. There was a crush or something like that. And Max said, uh, dad, like, can boys marry boys? And I was like, yeah, they can. I'm like, and girls can marry girls. I'm like, most of the time boys marry girls, but a lot of times boys marry boys or um, girls marry girls. And that's, that's, they're all, they're all great. And they're all, you know, it's all the same. It's all love. And he's like, Oh, and like, just like, got yeah. it. Like and no question, no anything. Like just now I, I just learned this thing right. and I'm, and it's, and so we have the power. They don't have biases yet. They're not, they don't have the preconceived notions yet about what's not, you know, like when I was younger, nobody taught us about disabilities. And so I was actually nervous when I would see somebody with disability because I didn't know what was going on. Yep. And so that made me not talk to them. So, you know, but if I knew what it was, and I knew everything was normal, you know, then I would have gone up to the person, to the people and, and tried to be friends. Like, and that, that's, that was my, like, that's my like main like motivation for this is like, I just want everybody to know how awesome Teddy is and to be, and to, to want to be his friend and to want to come up to him and to, to and, you know, and, kids like him, yeah. and to know that everything he's doing is normal and it's not weird. And this is what he does to stay calm. And this is what he does when he's excited. And like, it's totally cool. And it's totally normal. So like invite him to play and like, you know, and, they they're inviting him to play in kindergarten they'll keep inviting him to play you know in high school you know it's just it's which that's why starting it early is is so important and he's my he's obviously my motivation but um that that's my thing i just want and then i want everybody to know about him and 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 to know about all kids who are like him yeah well, well let's let's get you out of here on this talk about you have a book coming out now in uh at the end of the summer or right after the summer. Uh, tell folks what it's called and give us a little hint. Don't give anything away, but tell folks what it's called and, and what the what the impetus for writing it was. I'm going to make my announcement on this <laughs> podcast. That's so exciting. Um, so the 
book is called Theodore Bearkins. It's a, it's a book series. So Michael came up with this name because he calls Teddy Theodore Bearkins. Um, <laughs> And he, it was actually Michael's idea just to, to write a book. And um, we just kind of had little ideas here and there and never really like fleshed them out. And then one day I just sat down and said, I went think berserk. Yeah. And went berserk in, in like an hour, I think I wrote this whole book. It's so Theodore Berkins is the main character um, and he has a best friend named Crocodile Duckhands. And the reason why his name is Crocodile Duckhands, well, I'll save that for another time because we're kind of running <laughs> short on time. I need to get to Scandal. But um, so um, it's a book series, and Theodore is a bear with autism, but we don't talk about his autism in the book. So he displays different autistic traits, um, but they're not they're they're not discussed in the book. It's just normal. So it's not like depicting him as a superhero because of his autistic traits. He's a regular bear who does has goes on little fun adventures, um, and it. And it doesn't, we don't just, it's, we don't discuss it. But at the end of the book, I do put in a discussion guide for parents. So if you want to talk to your child about autism after you read the book, you can. And it it it, it talks about what you might've noticed that the, the, some of the things that Theodore does throughout the book that maybe you noticed. Or, or, or doesn't or doesn't do. Or, I think some of the things he does right, or doesn't, that doesn't yeah. do. Right. That maybe you noticed or maybe you didn't notice. Um, and this is why he does them. But you know, this I want this book to be accessible for everybody. So whether you have someone with autism in your life or not, I want the children to be drawn to this book and be excited by this book and read this book because then that will help them to learn about autism. I mean, you normally people don't buy books that are out of their like demographic, right? Yeah. Um, so like, you know, I, normally a person who does not have autism or doesn't have anybody with autism in their life would not buy a book about a bear who has autism. So right. in order for me to get those people to read a book about a bear with autism, that's why he it's he you know it's not it's not obvious in the book but then when you read if if you decide to read the um discussion guide in the back you'll see that he does have autism and these are things he does and this is why and again it's just it's it's normalizing it's normalizing autism so the first book in this series is called Theodore Barricans Lost His Blue Sunglasses and he and Theodore and his friend Crocodile Duckhands go surfing at the beach he loses his sunglasses and then throughout the book we're we're looking for his sunglasses and um what i really like about the book is that i kind of i try to bring the reader in yeah. so i have um it's a you know it's a picture book it's for kids the age group that we're looking at it in the elementary schools so like kindergarten to like second grade or so and you know we bring the reader in by having them like turn the pages to help 
to help the the characters out and you know um they have to like say things they have to they have to call names out in order to help the characters out and that, and that's part of it too it's um the reader is helping out his his friend you know the the character so it that kind of helps um that that's that's kind of the impetus too to just get the kids like being a good friend also so that's awesome well gina we're gonna look out for that folks you can get that uh we'll make an announcement certainly through social media but um at the end of the summer uh and i've seen like the the proofs and uh the rough draft um from the illustrator and it's absolutely phenomenal i think to your point it's going to be a great book for kids uh, who just love fun adventures and love to be brought into a story through, you know, they have to, as you said, they have to talk to the characters on the pages and they have to like, you know, tell the one character to do something. Um, but it's also going to be great for, for families who want to say like, Hey, you know, um, families for inclusion isn't at my school yet. Uh, and uh, I want to teach my my kids about about this uh, you know this disability and really disabilities in general and it's it's not scary and so it's going to be a great a great book for that and um, yeah just you know really just Gina blown away that you know I mean it's after hours here we need to put our kids to bed it's very it's very late here on the East Coast I just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I know that folks listening learned a ton and are, are super inspired, which is what the show is about. I'm inspired by not just this conversation, but getting to getting to be uh, alongside you all these years and uh, just watching you just absolutely take on life like a like a superhero. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for coming on. Thanks how for can folks? On. Yeah. How can folks donate to uh, Families for Inclusion or where can they find you all? Um, just familiesforinclusion.org. So, yeah, and there's a donate button there. And uh, yeah, if you're compelled, check it out. Um, and and folks can get you. You're you're doing presentations at you're doing three three presentations at Philly schools tomorrow. So um, you got to get to bed. So I will let you go here. But um, I got to watch Scandal first, and yeah, then go yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. So. Let's break, um, folks. We're going to go put our kids to bed and watch some reality TV. Uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple months with some new episodes. Thanks for listening to season one. Um, and I appreciate all the feedback and all the folks really all over the world. I think like we're, we've got folks listening in up to 20 countries at this point, which is just like mind blowing. So thank you all for checking out the show. Thanks for the feedback. And uh, yeah, Gina, thanks for changing the world. I, I, I love to I love to watch you do it. Appreciate you. I love you, babe. Thank you. I'm here. I love you. All right. See everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Please look out for a new episode with a new guest every week. This was the Inspiration Accelerator with Michael Sonberg.